0: As you know, we, are, we have been going through the book of Romans. We started, I think, in January, and we're slowly getting through it. We're going to actually get through to the end of chapter 2 today. But if you're new with us today or you haven't been here for a while, don't worry. We, we don't have to review everything we've gone over so far. We are treating each new Sunday as we look at the book of Romans as a brand new sermon. So you don't have to learn what came before it or what comes after it. We're just going to focus on this text today. And, and I pray that we will all be blessed by it as the Lord speaks to us by his word today. So if you will take your Bibles, your iPads or your phones and open it up to the book of Romans... We're going to read from chapter 2 today, from verse 17 to verse 20, if you want to find that in your Bibles. And while you do that, let me just say that remember a few weeks ago we brought to your attention that there was a need that we had an opportunity to meet, and that was from a church in Vienna, Austria, who were taking in refugees from Ukraine. And so we presented that need to you, and, and you so graciously sacrificially gave an offering and we sent it to that church that's in Vienna and the first time I made announcement about that uh, I mentioned that there are I think roughly around 30 or 40 people on their way to that church for shelter and then last week or a couple weeks ago I also mentioned that there was another 20 that made their way and found refuge at that church but since then until today they have taken in 250 refugees from Ukraine Again, there are mothers and children, there are the elderly, but we just praise God for not only what they're doing for God's people and for people who are losing their homes today and have no hope. We praise God that the church is opening their doors to them and we also give thanks that we were able to be at least a small part of that. So again, thank you for your offering. Thank you for your gift uh, in, in, in all for the glory of God and we just pray that what we have given, God will multiply it and use it to reach people. Amen. So if you'll turn to now Romans chapter 2. I'm going to read today from verse 17 to 29. And if you have found it, please stand with me. Verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Amen. Ye may be seated. As we have mentioned over and over throughout this study, Paul is narrowing his argument to one fact, and we're going to get in this probably next week. And the one inescapable fact is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he's talked about the heathen in the world who have sinned. He's talked about the hypocrites who sin, and now he's narrowing the focus to even the religious people in the world have sinned in the eyes of God. More specifically, he's speaking directly now to the Jews. But we're not reading this today as Paul speaking to that group of people. Maybe we can learn some things by it. No, today we read this as Paul is speaking to you and to me. And so we want to make sure we make application of what we're reading here today. And so today's sermon is titled, have you been changed again we're not talking about the Jews that Paul was writing to we're not talking about the early church we're talking about you have you been changed and so let me give you two illustrations that will sort of set the course on the direction that we're taking here today let me remind you of two men in the Bible one from the Old Testament one from the New Testament had very similar experiences and very similar outcomes the first man is Isaiah and the Bible says in the book of Isaiah God was going to give a message through Isaiah for all the people of Israel and it was a message of woe W O E which means sound the alarm judgment is coming and you must be prepared And so over and over his message was to be woe to the people and to warn them. But before God would raise Isaiah up for that ministry to pronounce woe to the people first, God gave Isaiah a vision. Isaiah says in chapter 6 of his book, I was in heaven and I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And in the New Testament, it makes it clear it was Jesus that he saw. So Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. There were countless seraphim angels flying and and shouting and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And when Isaiah had that revelation of Jesus, the very next thing that happened was it caused him to look inward, into his own heart, And he said, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. Woe is me. And when he said that, an angel came with a hot coal, touched it on his lips, and cleansed Isaiah of his sin. God forgave him when he recognized his sin and confessed it. And then God said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. In other words, before any woe was pronounced upon the people, Isaiah's first response was, woe is me. So Isaiah sees Jesus, that revelation. It causes him to look inward to see his own sin. And then the Lord changes Isaiah and then calls him into that ministry. And then we have Peter in the New Testament A little bit different from Isaiah, but there was a story in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus was teaching the people right on the shores of the Lake Galilee. There were so many people, so Jesus had to get into a boat to kind of set off into the water a little bit to make some space in order to preach to all the people. And so he got into Peter's boat, and he said to Peter after he was done teaching, Peter, let's go out now to the deep and let's catch us some fish. And Peter, the genius fisherman that he was, said, Lord, we've been fishing all night long. There's nothing to catch today. But nevertheless, Master, because you say so, okay, let's go out and I'll cast out the nets. And the Bible says that when Peter did that, his net captured such a multitude of fish, it was too heavy to lift it into the boat. And even the nets were breaking because of the multitude of fish that he caught. And when Peter saw the glory of Jesus and his power and authority. At that revelation, do you know what Peter did? He fell at the feet of Jesus and he said, Lord, you must depart from me because I am a sinner. So the revelation of Jesus in Peter's life caused Peter to look inward and to confess that he was a sinner. Jesus had no intention on leaving Peter. Peter. Instead, he would forgive Peter of his sin, and then he said, Peter, from now on, I'm going to teach you to catch people. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So Peter has that revelation. It causes him to look inward, to confess his sin to the Lord, and then the Lord changes him and makes him a fisher of men. Keep these two illustrations in mind today. Because I believe this is what God wants to do in all of us to give us a revelation of Himself, of His Son, so that we will look inward and confess to the Lord we are sinners in need of salvation. And when a person does that, God changes a person. Well, the question is have you been changed? Today, Paul speaks to the religious who are confident in their own works. They're confident in their rituals and they're confident in their sacraments. So, today, Paul is going to point out, first of all, a glaring problem with this religion. And of course, where there is a problem, God always provides the solution. And so, in today's outline, we're looking at these two points the problem and the solution. And I pray that this message today, it speaks to all of us, but especially to those who may be here today that say, well, I go to church, my spouse is a Christian, my kids, my parents are Christians, they love Jesus, so therefore, I suppose I love Jesus too? Well, do you? And the question remains... Have you been changed? So, first, let's look at the problem. Really, in the first half of our text here today, the problem. Beginning at verse 17 and 18, once again, Paul says, Indeed, you are called a Jew. You rest on the law, and you make your boast in God, and you know his will. You approve of the things that are excellent, and you are instructed out of the law. Indeed, you are called a Jew now that word Jew it describes a people who come from Judea who worshiped God at the temple which was in Jerusalem in Judea and so they were known as Jews who worshiped their God out of Judea but the meaning of Jew also it means praise to give praise and approval Unfortunately, we learn in the Gospels that the Jewish people, at least the religious ones in Jesus' day, they loved the praise of men. They sought the applauds of men, not God's applauds. And so their name means praise. And Paul says here, not only are you called a Jew, but you possess the very word of God, God's word, God's law. You claim to trust in it. And you know what God's will is because it's in His Word. You know what things are excellent because God shows you those things. And when you open those Scriptures, how much instruction are you able to receive from God's Word? And even beyond that, Jews, you also are able to boast in God. Look at your history. Look at all that God has done I mean, beginning with Abraham, calling him out of his place, promising an an, an inheritance in Canaan. And that promise went from his son to his grandson and to his grandsons. And then God saved Israel out of Egypt and performed the plagues, parted the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness with all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. There's so much the Jews could boast about. Look what God has done for us in the past. In other words, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, the Jews received a lot of light and revelation from God, just as we have. We're all sitting in the church today. We're all hearing God's word today. We all sang songs together. We're all in the midst of Christians, and we are all in the midst of people who are praying, today you are receiving great light and revelation of God. Revelation like Isaiah. Revelation like Peter. But now watch what happens with this great revelation that the Jews have received. And here's where the problem begins. Verse 19, he says, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth in the law in other words in in response to all the light and revelation that they received they became confident in themselves Now let's step back for a moment. Do you remember the first time someone told you about Jesus? That first time when you believed and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? Can you remember that still? Maybe for some of you it was a long time ago. Maybe the the memories have faded a bit. Or have you ever come into the sanctuary before and you hear God's word being proclaimed? How has that made you feel? When you first came to Christ what was it that was happening in your mind and in your heart when you heard that word of God did it cause you to become confident in yourself and you know I wonder sometimes when people come to church and they hear God's word being preached if I meet with someone at the end of service and they say pastor thank you for your message as a response to it I now have so much confidence in myself. Listen, if you feel that way after a sermon, then I have either greatly dishonored the Word of God or you have not heard anything I've said. Because when the Word of God is preached and preached faithfully, it's not to create some self-confidence. It's to break you. It's to crush you. It's to humble you. It's to teach you that you are a sinner and you need Jesus Christ it's to teach you your absolute poverty without Christ so how can it be that a people could see this great revelation of God and in response they become confident in themselves and immediately they look to others thinking that they can teach other people how to live a life for God something's missing When we compare this with Isaiah and Peter, and perhaps even you, something is missing. For Isaiah and Peter, they had the revelation. It caused them to look inward, and then they could look out to minister to other people. The Jews, however, received revelation, and they looked out. What's missing? It was that inward look. It was that honesty in their own hearts that they themselves were sinners in need of salvation. So instead of confessing those things, they became confident in themselves. Rather than being changed within, they just simply played the part of a religious person. They just played the part of somebody who trusts in God. Paul says in that verse... You have a form of knowledge and truth. That means it's just a cover. It's just something external. Not inside, only outside. In other words, it's in the way they talk. It's in the way that they memorize scriptures. It's in the way that when they pay their tithe, they look around so people see how much they're putting in the tithe box. It's in their long, lengthy, wordy prayers that they make in front of all the people. And it's in the long, flowing gowns that they wear to show just how holy they are. All they had was a form, an image of a follower of God. But they were never changed on the inside. Do You know, Paul, when he mentions that word form, in the way that he uses it here he uses it again there's only two times this word is used like this in the in the new testament he uses it here in romans but he also says it again in second timothy in second timothy chapter 3 he's talking about people who live in such wicked lifestyles that begin with the love of yourself how many times do we hear that today so many people in pop culture want to teach our young people First things first, you must learn to love yourself. Well, the Bible shows us what happens when all you think about is loving yourself. It leads to selfishness and a sinful lifestyle. But Paul is talking about those kinds of people and he says about them that they have a form of godliness. But yet they deny its power. In other words, on the outside, they appear to be godly. They appear to be men and women of God, appear to be instructors, guides to the blind, teacher of babes and of the foolish. But it's all a cover. It's all a cover. And in here in 2 Timothy, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. What is that power? Do you remember earlier when Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel" For it is the power of God to salvation. That power of God is the working of the Holy Spirit of God who comes into a person's life, leads them to Jesus, and powerfully transforms that person from the inside out. But Paul says in these days that we live today, there will be people who claim one thing. They appear to be one thing, and they might fool a lot of people but inwardly they deny the power of the Spirit of God and they are left unchanged. And as a result, their lives and even their ministries are filled with hypocrisy. So Paul says, continuing on in verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, which is the right thing to say, do you steal? Or you who say, do not commit adultery, which is the right thing according to God's word. But yet, do you commit adultery? He also says, you abhor idols. You hate idols. And rightfully so. You know the demonic power behind them. You know that it's a dishonor to God to worship an idol or a false god. You hate these things, but yet I ask you, do you rob temples? Now what does he mean by that? Well, some say that Paul was talking about an incident that happened in his day. When the Jews drove out some of the pagan worship, and when they left their temples, those Jews went inside and confiscated all the gold and silver idols that were inside to sell them for money. Some people think that Paul is pointing back to the Old Testament when God had to warn his people. When the pagans leave and their temples are empty, do not go into those temples and take for yourselves the gold and the silver. Now, why would they do that at all? They hate those idols Yet they want them and they take them. Why? Because they themselves are worshiping an idol called money and greed. And you know, even in, also in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, God says to Israel, you have robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you, God? He said in the tithe and in the offering, you have robbed me you have not been faithful in giving to my house. And because of your unfaithfulness, you have kept for yourself what belongs to God. Why? Because money has become your idol. And so while they say idols are wrong, Paul is basically saying, do you worship an idol? And so all these things, if the Jews were honest, they would say, yes, we are guilty of all these things. Do you know today, there is so much moral failure among even ministers. And you know, it seems like it's becoming more and more of a problem. I don't know if it is, or it's just we are aware of it because of social media. We hear much more news from all over the world, so maybe we're just hearing it more often. Nevertheless, even among ministers and pastors and preachers, there is such moral failure. A man will preach one thing, but in the secret, he does the very things that he preaches against. Hypocrisy. Paul goes on to say in verse 23, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? You who can hold the Word of God and proclaim it and to say, I build my life upon this, you can say that all you want. But in the secret, do you dishonor the very Word that you are proclaiming? What do we know about secrets when it comes to God? Well, we've already read in Romans, Paul says that God will judge Every secret of man. In other words, listen, even a Christian, maybe someone today, can put on a complete show for you. And you look at them and you say, wow, what a righteous person. They must really know Jesus. We have no idea what's going on in the homes, behind closed doors, in the secret of life. We don't know but I'll tell you who does, God. God knows. Paul says, you make your boast in God's word, and yet you dishonor God when you disobey it. And then he adds, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. You know, whenever we preach or we teach God's word to people, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, maybe even you parents when you want to gather your kids at home and have a devotion with each other. When you teach God's Word to the people, you must first teach yourself God's Word. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, every time I'm planning a sermon, I want to ensure as I'm writing things down, I want to ensure that the Lord is speaking to me, that God will point out my weaknesses, And bring me to a place of confession and forgiveness. We have to examine our own hearts. And we need to be cleansed of our sins. And Paul is saying when our walk does not match our talk, we dishonor God. And we give an occasion for the world to mock God. I just heard this past week from somebody that there's a very, very well-known pastor. Very well-known. And his church is known throughout all the world and has been that way, I think, for at least three decades. And someone just told me recently that the senior pastor of this great big ministry and church was found in inappropriate behavior with other women. And he has since resigned as pastor of that church. And you know... When I heard that, I thought, I I didn't hear that. Let me look that up myself. And so I Google-searched his name and the name of his church. And lo and behold, the very first article that shows up is written by the most trusted news in all of the world, CNN. That's what they say of themselves. CNN was the first to announce what had happened. And I thought to myself, you know, CNN where are the articles that you wrote about all the good that that church has done for the last 30 years you can't find it where are the articles cnn that talk about all the churches that have been planted out of that ministry all over the world you can't find it where are the articles cnn that will talk about how influential the music that has come out of that church how much it has influenced Believers and non-believers, we even sing the songs in our own church, and they have impacted people all over the world and have led people to Jesus Christ. When has CNN reported those things? They haven't. Why? Because they glory in mocking God. They relish in a man of God who falls in moral failure, and they will announce it to the world just to give an opportunity to laugh in the face of God. And Paul is saying, when you want to live one way or you want to speak as though you are one thing and yet you live a totally different life, your sins will find you out. And when they do, you give an occasion for the world to mock and blaspheme God, to laugh in His face. I wonder, is there anybody here today Who has the same problem that we're talking about is there such a thing as a christian who puts on a show on the outside but when you leave this place your walk doesn't match your talk is there anyone here with that same problem of being unchanged by the spirit of god now maybe you identify with christians maybe you look like a christian talk like a christian But yet, you're not walking in obedience to the Lord. I'll tell you this Jesus did not die so that we could put on an act and play a part. Jesus died to save us. Amen? To save us, to cleanse us, and glory to God, to change us. And so the question still remains have you been changed by God? And number two, we look at the solution the solution I'm sorry if those words are really small I tried to fit a lot on the screen there Ah, oh, it's not too bad Romans 2 verse 25 to 27 for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law but if you are a breaker of the law your your circumcision has become uncircumcision therefore if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Paul is now unfolding to us the solution to the problem. And it comes in two ways. First of all, to get real with God. And number two, to get right with God. Here in these verses, we are taught to get real with God. Circumcision. Circumcision in the Old Testament, as God commanded Abraham and then the families of Abraham, circumcision, as you know, was a man who would make a cut in his flesh and remove a part of his flesh. And in doing so, God designed that it would be a sign, an external sign of a reality that had already happened in the heart you see God came into a covenant relationship with the people and the people said oh God whatever you say to us we will do we will obey you we will follow you and they entered into a covenant and God wanted there to be an outward sign of a real thing happening within the heart the problem became that the Jews believed that just by circumcising themselves, that is salvation. Just the act of an external cut would be the work to earn salvation. And that was never God's intention. Now Paul says it's good. As he says, it's profitable. It's a good thing if you actually have what that circumcision signifies... But if you don't have that in your heart, circumcision is meaningless. He even says that an uncircumcised man, a man who doesn't even belong to the Jewish nation, someone who is outside the Jewish nation, an uncircumcised man, if he loves God, if he honors God and obeys His Word, God will count him as a circumcised man. Because God doesn't look at external. He begins within your heart. So therefore, according to God, the real sign of a relationship with God is obedience. Obedience is the sign of a real faith within a person's heart. Paul says that the very life of that uncircumcised person who honors God that very life will stand as a testimony and a judgment against those who think that by their work of circumcision, they can be saved. Now, let's consider a different illustration, something away from circumcision that is like circumcision, but maybe something that we can better understand, and it has to do with marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, I know not every culture does this but you know at least from where i'm from when a man unites with his wife and they share vows and they make their promises of faithfulness and of love that will go on through every circumstance of life when they make those vows they then exchange an external sign of that vow now you may not do this from where you're from but my wife and i did we exchanged rings and this ring we exchange with each other as a sign of our faithfulness and love for each other. Now picture this for a moment. Imagine there is a man and a woman, husband and a wife. And the husband tends to just live his own life. He kinda of just goes out on his own and does his own thing. And in so doing, he meets another woman he begins with attraction, which is already adultery in his heart, and then he makes it a reality, and he carries on in an affair with this other woman. Now, let's say his wife finds out about all of this, and in all her grief and sorrow and through her tears, she confronts her husband. What if the husband said, wait a minute, there's no problem here. Look, I still have this on my finger. Look. Look. We're still together. I still have this external sign. You tell me, ladies, would that fly with any of you? Of course not. And in that moment, what does that ring even mean? It means nothing. So even in circumcision, if it was only an external sign but not in the heart, it meant nothing to God. Circumcision is nothing if the heart is not true with God. And so, Paul says that circumcision is a profitable thing if it reflects a real true heart with God. And the same with marriage. Now, I can look at my ring that I have on my finger. I can look at it, and it does me a lot of good. It's a great profit to me. Because when I look at my ring, I think of my wife. You know, I remember when we got this ring, 24 years ago. I remember we went into a jewelry store in the mall. Just a few months before that, I went there and bought her engagement ring. I went with my mother and my grandmother. And we kind of went together and we picked out a ring together. And and I remember I I learned what it was like to be a confident man. And I asked the salesperson for a discount. (laughs) And I got it, praise God. 10% off the cost of that engagement ring. Well, after we were engaged, we went back to the same store, and together we picked out this very band I'm wearing now. And when I put it on my finger, and I remember, you know, agreeing upon that design and everything, at that moment, I had no idea that the best was yet to come in my life, married to my wife, Hera. And of course, we exchanged these rings on our wedding day, and I've had it on ever since then. When I look at this ring, I remember those days. And I remember I am devoted to my wife. And I remember how much she means to me. This is a good thing for me to look at. But if you're here today, and maybe in your culture or in your marriage, you didn't exchange rings, does that mean you're not faithful or you don't carry on in a marriage relationship? Of course it doesn't mean that. Because the true outward sign, men, that you love your wife is to be faithful to only her. Amen? and to treasure her above all things, and to lay your life down as a sacrifice for your wife. That is the outward sign that there's something real inside. And when it comes to God, God is looking for the real thing, not an external show or a sign. So get real with God. And number two, get right with God. In these last verses, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Brothers and sisters, and especially to you young people here today. God is not nearly as interested with your outer appearance as he is with your heart. God is so much more interested in what's inside of you and in your heart, and it's your heart that he wants, and it's your heart that he wants to change. Last year when I was in America, I stopped by a Starbucks in the same mall where that jewelry store is. We still go there. I went to a Starbucks and I was the only customer and there was just one person at the barista area. And when I looked at this young man, he had so much color of makeup on his face. His hair was done in such a a wild way and there was so many colors in his hair that he dyed upon it. He had earrings all over his face and in his ears. He had long fingernails, which he painted. And he was dressed as, I guess, only someone like that would dress. And when I talked to him and made my order, I also found out he was a very respectful man to me and spoke very kindly to me. And as I walked away with my coffee, I couldn't help but think about him. And my heart really ached for him. And I prayed for him as I walked around in the bookstore. You see, because it was evident, he's looking for attention. It's evident that's what he wants. I don't know from whom, but he's looking for attention. And what makes it even more tragic is that someone in his life taught him that if you want attention or if you want someone to be attracted to you, You've got to change your outer appearance. And I thought to myself, if only he knew that there is a God who sees through all of that. He sees right through it all. And he looks upon the heart. And it's the heart that he wants. It's the heart that he reaches for. The work that God does, Paul says it is in the spirit It's by the Spirit of God. The very power of God is through the Spirit of God to change us and to mold our life. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes that inward change in us. Let me close with this last story. In the Bible, there is that man named David who became king of Israel. And in the story, Samuel, the prophet, was told by God to go to the house of Jesse, and that one of Jesse's sons would be the king of Israel. And when God pointed the boy out, Samuel was to anoint him and to announce God's anointing upon him. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and he says, Jesse, I need to meet your sons. And of course, Jesse brings out the oldest boy, Eliab, first. And Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the boy I mean, he's probably tall, he's strong, he looks smart, he's good looking. Surely this is the one. And God said, no, Samuel, this is not the one. And then he warned Samuel, do not look at the outer appearance of a man. God said, that's what a man does. But the Lord looks at the heart. And so the second son came, wasn't him. The third son, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. All the boys came, and none of them were king. And Samuel said, "Um, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse had to think for a moment. He said, well, yeah, my little one, the one who's dancing and prancing out in the fields with the sheep, the one with the harp singing songs and dancing around, him. And Samuel says, I must meet him. So they called the little boy David into the house, and when Samuel looked at him, God said, That's the man. And Samuel anointed him. You see, even David's family didn't see these things in him. All David's family saw was a kid. But God saw a king in David. God looked at the heart and he saw qualities in that boy. And God knew that this could be a good shepherd for the people of Israel. God looks at the inside And as David grew, he he wasn't a perfect man. He had many of his own faults and failures in life. But here was an attitude David learned. David, it wasn't so much David saying, what do people think about me? To David, it was, God, what do you think about me? You see, David sought the approval of God. And that's what Paul says. A true believer doesn't seek the praises of men, but the praises and the approval of God and God alone. And David was anointed king and received God's approval in life. Musicians, would you come? Toward the latter part of David's life, David learned of the constant weaknesses and the failures and the sins that he would commit. He knew he was a weak man. He was a broken man. And often he cried out to the Lord for mercy and compassion. And I want to show you what David says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. David knew what it was like to get real with God. Lord, here I am. Here I am with all my sins and all my shortcomings, all my weaknesses. Search me, God. Shine your light and uncover every hidden thing in my heart. And when you do, when you show those wicked things in me, When I confess, I know that you will take me by the hand and you will lead me to everlasting life. That was getting real with God and getting right with God. So my question to all of you is, again, have you been changed by God? Does the Lord sit on the throne of your heart? And is he doing a good work in your life? As we consider that question, can we all stand together? And can we sing this song that we learned today? Let's worship the Lord together and let's ask God to reveal to us right now the Lord Jesus Christ. And once he does, what will our response be to this? Amen.